just a young preacher just trying to get started. We used to have what they call cottage prayer meetings. Went to people's different homes, and people came and showed up in their homes, and whoever was there, we had a service. It wasn't a prayer meeting, but we had a service. And usually they picked the preacher after we got there. So I started carrying the biggest Bible I could find. I'd carry it around. I'd walk into that prayer, those college prayer meetings in one place or another, carry that great big Bible, hoping that that would get some attention on me and I would get asked to preach. <laughs> I wanted to preach every time I got a chance. And uh, I don't know whether it worked or not. I did get asked to preach quite a few times. But every time I took the big Bible, I didn't get asked. So just because you bring your Bible doesn't mean I'm going to ask you to preach. But I am going to ask you to show it and let people know what you believe, that this is the Word of God. Amen. Amen. I said in the prior statements that I was making around the communion that I was going to preach a message this morning that I called Jesus the Lamb. And this is the first of two Easter messages that I plan to bring to you. Jesus the Lamb today. Next Sunday, Jesus the King depending on the time that is a, the, the time that I have in these two services, I'll, I'll try to get to all of that. But I started looking at this message today, and there's quite a lot in this, as you would expect when I talk about Jesus the Lamb. So if you'd like to turn in your Bible with me this morning to a scripture that I'm going to read, find the third chapter of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, and... I will tell you the verse in just a moment. Father, right now we pray for your mighty anointing upon the declaration of your word. And may the Holy Spirit allow your word to be proclaimed in the demonstration of the Spirit's power. Prove yourself, even as we walk daily now, to prove you according to your word. Let us know that you are here in our midst doing great and wonderful and powerful things. Now the work of the Holy Spirit as we proclaim the wonderful power of the name of Jesus, and declare the glory of his sacrifice, which has made us candidates for heaven. We thank you for it, Lord, and we declare that we will say it today as you give it to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This is God speaking to Satan, who has deceived Adam and Eve, and has taken the form of a serpent. God speaks to that serpent after proclaiming judgment because of their transgression and their sin. And this is what he says to Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike or bruise his heel. So he prophesies and gives his spoken word to Satan that the time will come that Satan will strike or bruise the heel of the seed of the woman who is eternally Jesus Christ. And that at that time, that seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. That's the description of Calvary centuries before it ever took place and before the blood sacrifice was ever proclaimed 
among the Israelites. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, and I recommend to you that for background understanding and clarification about what I'm preaching to you this morning, that you read Hebrews chapter 9 and chapter 10. It will say a great deal to you about all that I'm proclaiming to you from all the scriptures this morning. It says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now this is not a message that the world finds palatable. In fact, it is a message with which the world violently disagrees. And that disagreement has infected a lot of what is called the church. Orthodox churches, mainline churches, many of them find it difficult today to proclaim the power of the blood of Jesus. Just because it seems anathema to the natural man. How can anybody find glory and praise to God in the pouring out of the blood of animals and then in the shedding of the blood of Jesus and declare that because of the shedding of that blood, there's salvation for all men and uh, for all mankind in all the world. And yet we know that is exactly what God's plan is. We know that's exactly what God's word says. And again and again, this scripture that I read is proclaimed in different words. That there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. In the very same chapter of Genesis, chapter 3, God followed that plan that he declared when he said to the serpent, he would bruise the heel of the woman's child, and that child would crush his head. He went on to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve, which was symbolic of covering their sin. You see, they knew no sin before they violated God's covenant and ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they did that, they became sinners. And so they hid themselves from God, not only because the sin made them contract to fellowship with God, but it also revealed to them their nakedness, and they were ashamed and embarrassed. So God, in his gracious goodness, said one more time, I'm going to provide a sacrifice for you. And God clothed them, not with the leaves of the trees, not with the grass of the field, but God clothed them with the skins of animals. That was an act of God. You read all of this in in Genesis chapter 3, and specifically in the 21st verse, the Bible says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Now, those garments of skins could not have been made without the shedding of blood. God killed animals and shed their blood, and the blood symbolizing the blood that will be offered for an eternal sacrifice provided the covering for Adam and Eve to hide their nakedness. So God said from the very beginning he would save the world in his salvation through the shed blood and forgiveness would come no other way. And this is a theme throughout all the Bible. You can take Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 and with a scarlet cord tie a knot around that statement of God 
and carry that scarlet cord through the rest of the Bible, through Exodus, through Leviticus, through all the all the all the Bible up to the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, and then from that, an explanation of that through the rest of the Bible, making it clear to all the world that the gospel message is that it takes the blood for salvation. It takes the blood to provide a savior. That lamb had to die to bring salvation to the world. That is God's plan. That is God's order, and that is God's word. So one of the next things, after after hundreds of years, the Israelites were taken into Egypt, and then a Pharaoh rose who had no they, with whom they had no favor. They were put into captivity. They lived in the land of Goshen. 400 years, they stayed there as slaves. And finally, it came to the time that God raised up Moses. And God said to Moses, go and proclaim my message to the king of Egypt and say that we are going to be free. My people are to be let go to go into their own land. And Moses went with that message, and his brother Aaron stood with him. And when they proclaimed that message, they were scoffed at by the leader of Egypt. The Pharaoh said to them, you have no power, you have no authority. We're not going to let you go in and keep you in slave labor from now on. But then God began to send plagues. So he sent the first plague, the second plague, the third plague, the ninth plague, right up through the ninth plague. And still, Pharaoh, after all the suffering of his people, rejected the message of letting the children of Israel go. He was still going to hold them in slavery. And finally, God said, there's one more thing that I'm going to proclaim. That will set my people free. And he told Moses and the people of Israel exactly what to do. He said, there's going to come a time when the death angel will pass through all the land of Egypt. And every family in the land of Egypt, every human family, every animal family, from royalty to the poorest person to the lowest slave in the nation, every family will have their firstborn son slain by the angel of death that God will send, with this exception. There's only one way that judgment will be escaped, because judgment is now on all the land of Egypt and everyone who lives in the land of Egypt, including the Israelites, including the travelers from foreign lands, including every animal family. There's judgment on the land of Egypt, and the judgment is that when the death angel passes through, he will kill the firstborn of every family, in the land of Egypt on that night, with this exception, I'll provide a way for my people to escape that judgment. I will give you a plan, and if you will follow it, the death angel will walk past your house because you will be covered with the message of Christ in advance, Christ before he ever came. You'll be covered. You'll be spared, and judgment will not come upon you. This is what you have to do. On that Passover night, you will take a lamb. You will spill the blood of that lamb, that innocent, unblemished lamb. You will spill the blood of that lamb in a bowl. And then before bedtime that night, you will take a branch of hyssop, put the leaves in the blood. You will go and put the blood on the lintel of every door and on the side post of every door, just like you see right there. That was the command of God. Take the blood of the innocent lamb and put it on the lintel of the door, on the door posts on each side. And those who are behind those doors, when the death angel passes through, will have their firstborn son spared, and no judgment will come upon them. 
Here's the message. Centuries before Jesus is born as the babe of Bethlehem that declares he will redeem the world with his own blood, provide escape from the judgment that God will send, and declare freedom and victory for God's people who trust him. Look at that picture. If I'm standing in that doorway, there's blood over my head, there's blood on the post to my left, there's blood on my post to the right. And what picture is this? It's the cross. The cross. Long before Golgotha was ever conceived by the Romans, long before the method of crucifixion was ever used by the empire, long before that was the, that was the form of, uh, of capital punishment, when criminals were executed, long before that, God drew the picture of a cross. And God said the salvation of mankind will only come if they're behind the cross. I will look at them through the blood of Jesus. I'll look at them through the cross of Calvary. And I will spare them. I will declare them free. I will let the judgment pass by them because the blood is the salvation and the blood is the victory if it's the blood of the spotless Lamb of God. And so so on that play, that night, that judgment night, when the death angel passed through, the Israelites would put that blood on the door just as it pictured there. Had no judgment come. But everyone, the people of Egypt, didn't hear that message. The Pharaoh didn't hear that message. And the next morning in the palace of the Pharaoh, there's a wailing sound as they discovered the firstborn of the king of the land was dead. And throughout all of Egypt, there was wailing and sorrow and sadness. As the word began to spread, the firstborn son, our firstborn son, is dead. All throughout the land, every home, whatever the socioeconomic standing of the people, whatever their financial situation, whatever their political affiliation, it made no difference. There was only one way of salvation, only one way for that firstborn son to be spared, only one way, and that was to be behind the blood of the spotless lamb, and nothing else would spare them, and nothing else did spare them, but throughout the land of Goshen, where all the slaves were living, down in the lower part of the country, in the lower, at the tourist echelon, the people who had no knowledge, no land, no standing, no favor with the king, in that land of Goshen, the slave quarters that was rejoicing because they heard the message of the death knell that it declared throughout Egypt, but the death message had passed them over. Not because they were better, not because they were greater, for one reason only. They listened to the word of the Lord as Moses gave it. They slew that spotless lamb. They took the blood from the basin. They sprinkled it on the doorpost. They went behind that blood-marked door and closed it and locked it So even the death angel would pass by. He didn't look for any other thing. He didn't look for any signs of who lived there. He didn't look for any signs of what their standing was. He didn't look for any signs of what any affiliation they might have had was. He looked for one thing as they passed through the land. The death angel only looked for the blood that was on the door. And if the blood was on the door, he passed on by. He kept on going to the next one where there was no blood. And there the firstborn was slain. You say, that's a horrible thing to do. 
God had tried every way he could to set his people free, and now he had to speak in a, vo- a voice and in a language so loud and so clear that nobody could misunderstand it, and that's what he did. And that's what he did at Calvary, my friends. For those who will believe it and those who will accept it, he presented a message so loud and so clear that anyone in the world can understand it. Anyone in the world can receive it if they're willing to do it. But if they will not, there's judgment and there's death. But if they get behind that cross and that shed blood, there's life and life forevermore. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Paul said to the Corinthians that Christ, our Passover, is sacrifice for us. That death march in Goshen and Egypt was the Passover night because God had said to Moses, tell them, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. It's only the blood that is life. It's only the blood that's protection. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And now in Corinthians, Paul makes it very clear what that Passover refers to. When he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. Jesus paid that price for every one of us over the years, over the centuries, as they began a sacrificial system in Israel. Hundreds of thousands of lambs, bulls, goats, Various animals as prescribed in the, in the, in the plan of God for the, that Levitical sacrificial system were killed for their blood to be slain so that in a temporary way their sin could be covered and they would have fellowship with God. I don't know how we could ever calculate how many hundreds of thousands of animals might have been slain and it doesn't really matter. Because every time one was slain, another one had to be slain later on at a, at a future time because nothing Nothing was a permanent sacrifice. Every time the shedding of blood was experienced by one of those animals and death came to it, it was just a symbol. It was a message in a form of physical recognition that said there is coming a time when the eternal lamb will be brought forth. He will be sacrificed for sins once and for all. And when that sacrifice takes place, no other sacrifice will ever have to happen. No other sacrifice will ever have to take place. But until that time, every period that a sacrifice is required, we have to shed the blood of an animal and bring it as an offering in the tabernacle and then later on into the temple of God. On the Day of Atonement, when people have been offering sacrifices for their own sins throughout the year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest was commissioned to offer a sacrifice for the sins of all the people. And this is what he had to do. They shed the blood of the innocent lamb. The high priest took the blood on himself, on his, on his own fingertips. And he walked up to the area of the temple that no one was allowed to enter except the high priest. And he could only go in once a year on the Day of Atonement. There was the outer court of the tabernacle. Then there was the inner court. That was the holy place. And then there was the holy of holies. In the holy place, regular offerings were given. But in the holy of holies, there was only one time per year that anyone could enter. That had to be the high priest. But the high priest also entered as an interloper, as a usurper as one who really had no right there. 
because there was a veil in that temple separating the Holy of Holies from all the rest. So nobody ever saw past that veil except the high priest once a year. And that veil was approximately 18 inches thick, huge and covered corner to corner, the side down to the level of the ground or the floor. And nothing could be seen past that veil. Once a year, the high priest went in. And when the high priest went in, having shed the blood of an innocent lamb, he took that blood inside to offer it on the altar of God, and he had to lift up the corner of the veil and pull it back and slip in under the corner. There was no entrance for him to go through because he really had no right to go through it. He only had the right of the shed blood that allowed him to go into the Holy of Holies. He took that shed blood, he went in it, he sprinkled it on the altar for the sins of the people, and then he came back out. If he violated that, he'd be killed inside the Holy of Holies. So he strictly observed that. And every year that had to be done again and again, again, year after year, time after time, over and over, offering the sacrifice, and it atoned for the sins of the people and gave them an area or a time of appeasement with God, but it was not the permanent solution. If it had been permanent, if it were full-time eternal salvation, they would have had to keep doing it over and over again. And that's what the book of Hebrews in chapters 9 and verse and chapter 10 fully explains to you, how this was done repeatedly as a symbol of the sacrifice that would ultimately and finally be made for all the world. Jesus died on the cross. But up until that time, they had to keep repeating it. And every time it was a symbol that the Lamb, the eternal Lamb of God, would be sacrificed, he would be offered for sins. And then when he was offered for sin, and took, he took him, himself, he himself took his own blood, not the blood of another, but his own blood, and entered out not into the shadow. The Holy of Holies on earth was just a shadow of eternity. It was just a symbol of what God had in, 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 in heaven. And so when Jesus entered once into the holy place, he didn't go into the holy place of the tabernacle. He went into the holy place of the temple of glory in the presence of Father God and took his own blood, presented his own blood as a sacrifice on the altar of eternity and declared, here I have shed my blood for the salvation of mankind and this blood will last forever. It will never change. Its message is always the same. It never has to be repeated again. Once and for all, the Bible says, he entered into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us. So now, so now, after all this planning and all these sacrifices, the Bible says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, that in the fullness of time, when that fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to become the curse of sin for us. He had to be a virgin-born son because he had to be the perfect lamb. He had to be the sinless lamb. One could not be born in a natural life, in a natural way, and be sinless. So Jesus' Father was the Holy Spirit. Father God impregnated the Virgin Mary, and the virgin birth produced Jesus, who was the Savior of the world. And the perfect Lamb, the innocent Lamb, the spotless Lamb, that God would use as a sacrifice 
to take away the sins of the world. And that Lamb of God is the eternal Lamb of God, not the Lamb of God who's slain again and again and again, but the one-time slain Lamb, the one-time sacrifice Lamb, the one-time entrance into the Holy of Holies of Heaven to take His own blood and thereby obtain eternal, eternal redemption for every single one of us. It took a Lamb. It took the Lamb of God and only the Lamb of God. So when John the Baptist saw Jesus walking up by the river Jordan where John was baptizing people, and he looked up and saw him, and he proclaimed, as soon as he saw him, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Everybody who heard him understood him. He, they knew because they knew the lambs that were sacrificed constantly. They knew about the Day of Atonement. They knew all of that ritual and all those sacrifices that were made. They understood all of that. So they were looking for a lamb constantly. But now, one time, one time, John the Baptist makes the announcement for eternity. He says, behold the Lamb of God. One time Lamb of God. This Lamb of God will take away the sin of the world. He is the Lamb of God. And people understood what he was talking about. They didn't know in full complexity all about the theological ramifications of it. But they knew that John was saying, this is the person who will heal the world of sin and deliver the world from sin. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. For many years, the temple altars were stained with sacrifices every day. And though the blood appeased the Father, still the curse of sin was never wiped away. Until the day the rule of justice was granted by a touch from mercy's hand. Then the Father in compassion said, It's time to send the spotless Lamb. It took a Lamb to die upon a rugged cross. It took a lamb. Only blood could pay the cost. Nothing less could take away my sins. That's why the great I Am didn't come as a king, because he knew it took a lamb. Nothing less could take away my sins. That is why the great I Am didn't come as a king, because he knew it took a lamb. The songwriter said, not all the blood of bulls and goats on Jewish altars slain could give one guilty sinner peace or take away the stain. But Christ, the heavenly lamb, takes all our sins away, a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so Jesus went to the cross. He went to the cross that had been predicted for centuries where he would die. Not understood by the prophets who declared it. Not understood by the people who heard it. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, they were still looking for one who was going to be born a king who would take over the kingdom and rule the Israelites and conquer the Roman Empire. That wasn't God's plan. But through all those years, all those centuries, God's plan was all God's, God's plan was always the cross. God planned before the Romans ever carved out that hill and picked out that hill that looked like a skull to kill people just outside Jerusalem. Before they ever thought about that, God had a plan for the cross. Before that ever entered into the imagination of men, God said, the cross is the way of salvation. The cross and the shedding of blood is the way of forgiveness. And those who come by the way of the cross will always find their way home. The way of the cross. 
So Jesus, so Jesus went to the cross, arrested, falsely, cruelly tried, in a, in a, in a manner illegal, a manner dishonoring to God and mankind. Jesus was sentenced to death. And when he went to that cross and they, and they, and they bailed him to the cross, the world thought, we've rid ourselves of this problem finally. This one who walked about claiming he's the son of God. This one who walked about declaring that he's the revelation of God. This one who, who walked about saying that he was divine, that he was eternal. This one is now out of our sight and out of our problems, and we don't have to worry about him anymore. And maybe for the purpose of what they were doing, they didn't. But from that time, the message of Jesus has been declared, proclaimed, spread all over all the world through the centuries. Again and again and again, that message has reverberated as it is reverberating today throughout every country, throughout every climate, throughout every area of the world. The message of Jesus is being proclaimed. And that message, which is a true message, is the message that salvation is only through Jesus Christ. He is the only way of salvation, the only way to heaven, and he is the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus died on the cross. Let me just describe to you these events quickly. He died on the cross. While he was dying, he proclaimed the message of salvation. He spoke to the people very authoritatively, even from the cross. And with all the things that he said, he finally said, in the seven sayings from the cross, he finally said, it is finished, after which he followed it by saying, into your hands I command my spirit. I release my spirit. When he said it is finished, great things started to take place all around him and throughout Jerusalem. When he declared it is finished, God struck, and that veil I described to you before that separated the Holy of Holies. That veil, the Bible says, was torn in two, split apart from top to bottom. From the top to show that no man did it, it was the hand of God. Either caused by the earthquake that happened at that time or just simply by the hand of God splitting it open and letting it fall apart so that now everybody could see. Where nobody could see it before, even though only the high priest once a year when he went in as an interloper or usurper, even he only saw it once a year. Now that fails split. anybody who walked into through the temple would see the Holy of Holies completely exposed because God, through the death of Jesus Christ, when his body, the veil of his body, was rent and torn on Calvary, opened up the veil into the place that we can now enter into the very presence of God. And through that veil that he tore open, we now walk in and bow before the presence of God. As individuals, we can declare by Jesus Christ, by the power of his sacrifice, by his message, we have the right to come to the very presence of God, to the Holy of Holies, to the the very altar of God and present ourselves knowing that Jesus is our only mediator and our only intercessor because he's opened the way for us to come directly to God. You come to God through Jesus Christ. You come to God through Jesus Christ. Through his message, through his salvation, through his victory on the cross. Let it not be misunderstood. Those who people who thought that Jesus was destroyed on the cross, those people who thought the devil won, those people who thought that the victory had come because Jesus was dead, Jesus' death was not a defeat. Jesus' death was a victory because it was the perfect plan of God. And when the perfect plan of God is fulfilled, that is a victory. 
And they substantiated that victory three days later when Jesus rose from the dead and 40 days and nights proved himself alive by infallible proofs so no one could deny, deny or doubt the power of his crucifixion as well as the power of his resurrection. So when Jesus died on the cross, there's so much more. I, I, I'm, I, everything I'm giving you this morning is really an overview of this whole message because it is so detailed, there's so much about it, that even the, even the cross, you could talk about the cross, how prophecy were fulfilled, the miracles that occurred, six miraculous things occurred right there around Golgotha when Jesus died. The seventh, if you include the resurrection three days later, the seven miracles, the miracles of the cross. And all of that is there to testify to the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for mankind so that every person who will trust him and believe him and put faith in him will be saved by the power of his blood, by the victory of his sacrifice. And that's for every one of us. Every one of us. So Calvary completes the message of the blood. Completes the message of the blood of Jesus. We go to him. We come to him. We enter in his presence. We come in through the cross. We come in through the cross. It's the cross that split the veil. It's the cross that provided the blood for the atonement to be placed on the altar. And, and when Jesus did that, he made the way for us to come to Father God and become a child of God and live for him and with him forever. It's only by the blood of Jesus and the cross on which he died, that we have access to God for salvation in our lives. There's an old song we used to sing. I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. I shall ne'er get sight of the gates of light if the way of the cross I miss. Then I bid farewell to the way of the world to walk in it nevermore. For my Lord says, come and I seek my home where he waits at the open door. The way of the cross leads home. The way of the cross leads home. It is sweet to know, as I onward go, that the way of the cross leads home. You cannot miss your way. You cannot lose your path. You cannot get distracted and turned away from your goal of heaven if you follow the way of the cross. Because the way of the cross is the way of Jesus. The one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The way of the cross is the way of Jesus. And you will find your way to God's eternal purpose being fulfilled in you forever by following the way of the cross. It is sweet to know, the writer said, as I onward go, that the way of the cross leads home. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Please stand with me.